Episode 81 of Fitness Behaviour with Bevan James Isles. An interview with Ben Sigmund. Right, to welcome along to episode 81 of Fitness Behaviour, a fortnightly podcast on the behaviours that create a lifetime love of fitness and so you can get all the benefits that come alongside it. Well, I have to say I have not been a practicer of what I preach over the last kind of week and a half of my life. Um, I'm actually on holiday right now, so I'm recording this a couple of weeks ago and today I have an interview with a guy called Ben Sigmund, who I'm going to talk about in a minute, but... Um, it's been a really interesting kind of week and a half for me, probably two weeks to be honest. I went to Australia a couple of weeks ago, I think I talked about that on the show, and how going to Australia was pretty awesome, uh, and then I knew I was going away on holiday to Thailand, I'm in Thailand right now, we're sitting by the pool reading a book, not thinking about work, I tell you that much, um, and I pretty much had nine days of extreme work in front of me. One of the downfalls of being a business owner and, and someone who kind of works for yourself is that to have a break, you've pretty much just got to get everything done before you go. So I've kind of tried to fit three weeks worth of work into, you know, nine days. Um, and it's just not a good formula, to be honest. So no, I just, it's been really interesting to see how it has affected me um, just that extreme, even just now as I'm talking, not that I'm looking for sympathy, because I'm, I'm seriously not, I just wanted to share, you know, this with you guys, because, you know, it's, we're all trying to figure this journey out, um, just that fatigue, just that tiredness in my eyes, and that level of fatigue, and it's been really interesting watching my behaviours over the last kind of nine days, and, you know, the one thing I always try to encourage people to do is to keep a minimal level of your good behaviours in, and in some ways I have done that well so I've still kept my meditation up not much piano because it's a good thing for me um, but it's been interesting to watch with my relationship I had a bit of a disconnect with Joe and Joe and I we've, we have a pretty phenomenal relationship and uh, there's a couple of days we were just disconnecting and we, we, we called it and we had to talk about it and we we're kind of saying we're quite lucky because it's kind of once a year we have this disconnect but it was just um, a real example of you need to look after yourself guys and uh, and I don't know you know, was there another way for me to do this? It probably was, you know, probably was a little bit to say, you know what, maybe I should have listened to load and expectations. Um, not, you know, I'm not quite sure, but just, you know, it's a real example of one of those moments where you compromise health for work. Now, again, I'm not, you know, it's not the end of the world kind of stuff that I'm talking about here, but just little, you know, like if I were to stay on this path for a long period of time, there really would be massive consequences for my health and my life that would really not be good um, and I just think you can start you know like it's interesting I'm doing this for a purpose because I am going going away on holiday and so I, I really see that this means that when I go on holiday I don't have to think about anything to do with work and so I really see the value in doing this but I often think that what people do is they get caught in this trap of an overload moment like I've experienced right now and they allow it to continue on and I think just if you are someone who kind of knows what I'm talking about right now, that kind of place where you're really fatigued, you know, your eating kind of falls back a little bit, your exercise falls back a little bit, you disconnect from your relationship and all of those types of things. You know, there are these moments in life where maybe, you know, this nine days was never going to be a good nine days for me. Um, and, you know, I probably could have managed it slightly better. 
But it's when that nine days turns into a way of living where it becomes a big problem, where your sleep is lacking, where you're eating poorly, where you're not exercising, where you're just creating more stress in your life. And and I have to admit, I have felt more stress this week, and it kind of makes me realize I'm very fortunate in that I don't have a huge amount of stress in my life. But I just think it's a, it's a really important thing to be aware of because to live like this all the time, I, I just don't see how it's good for you <laughs> or like it's just it's just so not good for you so um just stuff to think about I, i've got a friend sean of the porn who actually listens to the show and uh and he's had a like oh, i think about nine days he's had like three months like that he trained to do the boston marathon um you know which is in itself is kind of this big life event but at the same time he he's basically renovated his whole house and, and this massive project and you know he managed his way through it and i think he got through it really well but he, you know, you can tell that by the end of it, the fatigue is just, you know, it's just too much. And, you know, I, I think, you know, there's this kind of level of stress. They call, talk about eustress. Eustress is a kind of a good stress. Um, there's a level of stress that is healthy for us and that we do want to be moving towards. But managing our health around that is a really important thing to think about. So, you know, I'm not really sure what that means. As I'm sharing this with you today, but I just wanted to kind of, you know, let you know that, you know, I'm, I'm you know, as much as I try to help you guys this even um you know someone who's kind of trying to preach well i don't know if i preach but try to give tools to other people you know sometimes this stuff's hard and it's really important that you catch yourself when it's hard and that you try to stay on track and and probably more importantly is you don't set up tomorrow to be like the days like today you know that and that's important for me that when i go away on holiday i am going to let this go and when i come back I'm going to take time. I'm not going to go crazy back into this place of nine days. Or, you know, things may take a little bit longer to kind of be executed for that reason, but you can't just make tomorrow like this continuously if it's not a good place for you. So just stuff to think about. This week's uh, show, we've got an interview with a guy called Ben Sigmund. Now, most of you guys won't actually know who Ben Sigmund is. Uh, my New Zealand listeners will probably know the name. He was a New Zealand soccer player or football player, depending on where you are listening to this in the world. Um, on the big scheme of football, he, he's a, a good player, you know, not like a Premier League player, um, not like, you know, like a Rooney, but, but a, you know, within New Zealand was a very, very, very good soccer player. Um, it was an interesting conversation, to be honest, because uh, in some ways I, I don't know if I got some of the depth I would have liked to have got out of him, but in some ways it's kind of one of those ones where you sit back and I, I find the life of the athlete very interesting because can you imagine if you were judged on how you did your job today and judged in a way where the whole world is looking at you and everyone kind of has an opinion on you? Like really, like think about what you did today and, and what did you do perfectly and what were you average at? And, and, you know, and to me the athlete has this kind of magnifying glass upon them their whole life, and and to be honest, you'll you'll hear from Ben. He's someone who's quite honest about the fact that he kind of was a little bit of a glass house full guy. Kind of didn't help himself along the way for a long time in his career, and, and he did manage to shift that. And you'll hear that in the conversation. And I just think this, while we didn't necessarily kind of nail the specific kind of here is the lesson, I think listening to his kind of sharing his experiences is a really interesting experience around someone who did struggle in a way. Were you in a world where you have that magnifying glass upon yourself, but kind of worked through it and kind of found another way at the other side of it. So, uh, really good interview. I'm going to check that on right now. It's going to be a pretty short show because, to be honest, it's about 
it's getting late and I've got, I've got a flight in the morning at four in the morning, so I'm going to got to keep it pretty short today. So before I do, I just want to mention some of the patrons of the show. If you've listened to the show before, you know what I'm talking about. If you want to become a patron and support what I do, um, I just really appreciate it. It means so much in so many ways. So um, some of the patrons of the show who already are is Michael Noak, and he's the hammer. We've got Renee the Hawk Whores. We've got Michael Hardcore O'Kane. Um, Samuel Melino Weaver, and that's Mysterious Man. We've got Donald the Explorer, sorry, James. And uh, yeah, they are some of the patrons. If you want to become a patron, sorry, go to Bevan James Isles. And yeah, just support me while I'm doing it. Again, I just, you, the, the patrons who are listening right now, you just mean so much to me because, you know, you, you put this stuff out there hoping you can help people. And the fact that you guys get something from what I do, it just really means a lot. So there we go. Anyway, here is Ben Sigmund. Okay, team, I'm pretty happy to have on the show today a man by the name of Ben Sigmund, who for some of the Kiwi listeners, you'll know who he is, but for some of those from around the world, you may not know some who much who he is, but he's recently brought out a book called Fully Committed, The Ben Stigman Story, and it's kind of his story of being an athlete, uh, And but we'll dig all into that really soon, but first of all, welcome on to the show, Ben. Thank you. So first of all, maybe maybe um, for those, give a bit of a background on Ben. Yeah, so... Um I've, I've uh, a young New Zealander growing up in, in New Zealand and playing uh, football or soccer, whatever you want to call it. And uh, yeah, just started off young, had all the potential. And I guess uh, as I grew a little bit older, I, I lacked self-belief and, you know, didn't probably realise how probably talented I was at football. And, um, you know, kind of went off the rails and kind of lost my way a little bit and, and uh, struggled to um, stay in the game. Probably a lot of frustration there as well, but also, um, as I say, mainly self-belief and the lack of, um, I guess for us, you know, you grow up in a, in a country where rugby's dominated and football kind of comes third or fourth in the rankings and it, there was just no sort of pathway for me. Mm. And I gave the game away and played rugby for a year and kind of uh, just wanted to get away from the, the pressures of, of Ben Sigmund as a footballer and, and, and I struggled um, to really love the game. And, and then, yeah, just I reached an age at about 25, 26 after kind of being off the rails and thought, well, I watched the Phoenix, which is a, the only professional team in New Zealand. Uh, there's only one team that plays in Australia in the A-League and I... I watched the players that were playing in it and I thought I played against them or with them and I said to myself, well, I was better than them. And so I, I thought, well, I've got one last crack to become a professional and I just changed overnight. I, I changed my, my attitude. I changed the person I was and I said to myself, I'm going to I'm gonna get back out there and I'm going to play. And I sorted myself out, sorted my life out and, and uh, trained hard. And Within about six months, I was back playing for New Zealand, and um, and about twelve months later, I signed pro with the Phoenix, and I got a one-year opportunity, and 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 I knew that was my only opportunity I was going to get, and and uh, kind of here I am, eight years later, and played 181 games for the Phoenix, uh, went to a World Cup, and um, and probably had a, a decent career for eight years, and I'm very very lucky that I. I I got there and came back, and it's probably a good story, I guess. 
So let's take a step back. So obviously you're a pretty kind of naturally talented or, or at least had talent at a sport at a young age, um, but got very despondent about it. Can you talk to me a little bit about what was lacking in your belief in that time? You know, like why, why was it that you were kind of working against yourself during that time? Yeah, there's, there's probably a, a few reasons. We're, Kiwis are probably a little bit sort of laid back and never kind of believe in themselves. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know what it was. I think it was just more myself. It was just me. And, you know, I was always in the rep teams. I was always the best player. But for some reason, for some reason, I just didn't, um, I just didn't believe in myself. And, and um, you know, probably part of it was I was always hard on myself. I always looked at the negatives. You know, I was always focusing on all the bad stuff I did, but I never focused on scoring a goal or setting up a goal or stopping the goal. It was always the, the negative stuff. And, you know, I've tried to train myself to get away from that. And, um, and it's certainly something that uh, I had to do when I got into the professional environment. So you're in this place where... You thought to motivate myself, I have to be hard on myself, but it actually made it not an enjoyable place. Yeah, exactly right. And to this day, I still did it. I've done it as a professional. I do it now. And it was always, I'd go home and think about, you know, the two things I did wrong, but I didn't think about the, the 10 things I did right. Yeah. And I guess for me, that's what I want to, that's what I'm moving into after football now is to actually help coach people and train people to, to get rid of that mindset and um, really focus on what, you, what you're good at and the positives rather than the negatives. What was the flow on effect of kind of not enjoying the environment or enjoying your football at that time in your life? Like how did that affect your kind of actions? Sorry, say that again? How did, how did the kind of the not enjoyment, you know, that point where you kind of gave up before that, how how did the kind of just not enjoying it affect your actions and your kind of your attitude? Yeah, well, it it it, it was it came right through, you know. And I I joined the Phoenix, and probably for the first four years, I actually didn't think I was good enough to even be there. I didn't think that I was accepted, and it took me a long time to to really believe the fact that I deserved to be there, you know. Mm. And um, and as I said, I'd go home after every game, and I'd be sort of focusing on the the negative stuff. Um, I'd be grumpy at home, you know. So you don't just you don't just do it at, uh, in the game. You take it home to your personal life, and it was tough. And uh, not until the last sort of three or four years of my professional um, my time at the Phoenix, I started to really enjoy it and actually realise that I'm a massive cog in this in this team, and I do deserve to be here, and I am good enough. And um, I just wish I'd seen that, you know, ten years earlier. So I, I probably could have had a longer, um, more successful. Career. Do you, do you think in some ways it's almost hard being a professional sports person because the whole world looks at you and thinks how lucky you are for this opportunity? You know, that it's that kind of, although I might be struggling, everyone else thinks I've got this great opportunity, so it's almost hard to express. Is that something that you experienced? Yeah, well, everyone thinks it's a glamour job mm. and everyone thinks that um, it's easy and everyone dreams of being that person. Yeah. And, you know, for me, when I... When I signed pro, I realized that I had to, as I say, change a lot. And social media is very hard now. So social media makes it very hard because everyone can sit there and send you a message and tell everyone how shit you are. And, yeah. and, it, and it actually really it actually hurts. It really hurts. And um, what it, whoever says it doesn't is lying because it, it's, it's horrible. And then, you know, the papers can say what they want. And um, you've got to sit there and just accept it, you know. And uh, for me... That, that was the hardest part and I think 
as time goes on, it's, it's even harder because people are um, are getting more and more critical as, as time goes on. And and as I've done this book, the only thing that people wanted to talk about was in the book was was all the negatives and all the the, really? the bad stuff, rather than focusing on some of the good stuff. You know, so it's been that's been tough and a challenge. But I knew when I did the book, I had to. I had to be honest and had to be open, so I have. And, and um, unfortunately, everyone's just wanted to talk about the negative stuff. It's interesting, isn't it? Do um, with, you know, you said that it kind of in my career, I was very much kind of for a long part kind of worked against myself, and then in the in the latter part, I kind of found the right place. Were this kind of some epiphany moments for you that really helped you shift? Good question. Yeah. Oh, look, there was a lot. There was a number of, you know, I think for me. There was probably a time when I I got into deep, deep trouble um, for stomping a player from Saudi Arabia, and um, it, it just ballooned like just massively, and the media got hold of it. I was condoned as the you know the dirtiest player in the All Whites history, um, you know. But what it, what people don't realise is it affects your your family, it affects you. Mm. Um, it affects a wider range of people. Um, but for me, I, I just started a life coaching course and, um, you know, the life coaching course really helped me kind of realize and find out who I really was and it helped me deal with um, a lot of emotion because I used to hate losing and I still hate losing. But that kind of taught me how to how to manage it and how to handle it. And um, I think that was a real turning point for me because it, it kind of made me step back and start looking at things differently and then I guess family well I had two kids and um you know my boy said to me when I when I stomped that guy from Saudi Arabia um daddy where did you go on the field and you know I had to tell tell my boy that you know I'd, I'd been naughty and um got sent off you know and probably that was a, a big turning point for me as well so you, you you weren't necessarily that good at dealing with your emotions, and obviously obviously it was more of a trigger response. And so so through doing some learning and some kind of kind of accountability to my family, I had to kind of reflect and kind of step up. What what were some of the things that the the course taught you? Like what were some of the processes and tools that actually taught you to deal with the emotions? Yeah, it it, it just helped me focus on kind of like who I wanted to be and that and the guy that who I wanted to represent. And then it just gave me a little bit more accountability around, um, you know, what your end result was and what your end goal was. And, you know, for me, it was to walk off the field and shake hands with a guy whether you've won or lost. Um, you know, for me in the past, it was, it was I probably got too caught up in, in winning and, um, and, you know, you're still, you're so results driven that you have to be. But it was more about like as long as you gave it 100% and you, you performed, then that's all that you kind of had to had to worry about, um, and then at least you can walk off the field and, as, as I say, like um, hold your hold your head high. And was it easy to transition from that different mindset of you know I have to win and it defines who I am, it isn't to I give my best and that is good enough? Was that an easy transition? Yeah, oh, it wasn't easy, and I still struggled with it, but I just got better at it. I also had a really good coach, Ernie Merrick, who just really told me that it's not acceptable to to get yellow cards or red cards or or um, behave like I was at times. So probably it was good to have that coach to tell me, you know, listen, you know, you're not, um, that's not acceptable. It was just wasn't acceptable. And I think that was, for me, people could have taken that the wrong way as a different player, but for me that was perfect because he just told me bluntly, like, it's not acceptable. And that was, that was enough for me. Yeah. 
when you, when you when you think about um, you know because it's interesting you you know as a professional sports person, <clears throat> obviously your aim is to improve. Uh, how well did you feel, or what were the strategies that you felt helped you improve your game? Like what, what what were some of the tools that you used, and what were some of the kind of strategies you used to actually get better? Yeah, good. Another good question. I think for me it was. So I, I came into the game quite late, and for me, the game was changing all the time, so it was getting faster, and um, the ball speed was faster, the players were better. So it was like, um, for me, it was like, well, how do I keep moving with the times? Mm. And I'd just look at myself and say, well, how do I get better, and how do I get faster? And it was um, asking the coaches to do extra training, because I just needed to be better on the ball, faster on the ball. I worked at my speed because this game, you know, everyone was running faster. And then for me, it was um, it was learning, it was listening to the coach, like really listening to the coach and what he wanted from me, because he had a particular strategy or a system that he wanted me to play. And it was either don't listen to what he wanted to do or do listen to him. And it was simple. You have to listen to what he wanted. And I just adapted myself to what he wanted. And all of a sudden, I just clicked into, into gear and I just, it was like um, overnight after working so hard at what he wanted, I just knew what he wanted and it just fell into place. And all of a sudden, I'm just running around at 33, 34, 35, you know, and getting better rather than, um, you know, declining when people probably think you should be. I was actually getting better. And that was purely just because I wanted to get better. And I wasn't happy to be, you know, down the bottom. I wanted to be at the top. So, so for you, you you continually seek growth, and you are open to the feedback of of the world around you. Yeah, absolutely, and and I think for me, because our coach Ernie came in at thirty three, and and he tried to change the system, and I had to change, and that's mm. probably the difference. So, um, a lot of people would have thought, oh well, I'm thirty three, he's just going to phase me out. Well, I went, no, I'm actually going to phase myself back in, and I'm going to stay a lot longer than I probably thought I could have. And again, it was just um, it was just adapting to what he wanted from me. So, what was the reward of that? You know, like a, obviously I got a better player, but like as in your esteem and stuff like that. What was the reward for you within that place? Well, I think I think for me it was it was um, the reward of of him giving me another contract at the end of those. Um, I'm just going to go outside, sorry. You're right. I'm to get the drill going. <laughs> I think it was the reward for me was. Um, when he came to me and said, oh, would you like another contract? So he offered me another year's contract. And, you know, I, th- I thought he was going to get rid of me. He, he re-signed me. And, I, and that was, for me, just outstanding. And, and um, I guess all that hard work paid off when at 34, he, he, at 34 he comes and said, well, you're not ready to retire. We're going to give you another year. Wow. That's pretty cool. And, and, and I imagine also just for your own self-confidence. Yeah, well, you know, for me, you know, as much as I had a lot of um, ups and we qualified for the World Cup, you know, um, you know that was huge. You know, I was part of a team that qualified for the World Cup, and and then I went to the World Cup and I actually didn't play one single minute at the World Cup, so I lost a lot of confidence and just about gave the game up again, you know, and I questioned myself whether I should keep going, and and um, you know, for me, when I got back from the World Cup, it was. I'm actually going to prove to you guys that um, I am good enough and I can get better and you should be playing me, you know, and and that was um, that was probably something that kept driving me as well sort of later on in my career. When you think about yourself as an athlete, 
Um, there's always two questions I always like to know. What, what do you think your strengths were as an athlete? Well, I think I think I worked them out pretty quickly, which really helped me, um, certainly as a professional. And that's probably what I didn't know when I was a young fella. And that was, um, I think for me, it was like my strengths were that I was really strong, really fast, and I was aggressive. Um, and I just took no prisoners, really. And that was... Once I realised that, I just kind of built myself around that, and um, and that was my kind of everyone. That's what everyone knew me as. But then, as time went on, I realised that the game was changing and and it was getting faster, and I had to adapt. So I had to go right. Well, I've actually got to be better than this. I've actually got to start playing out from the back. I've got to get technically better. Um, and I started building around what I was really good at. Mm. Um, and so I so I got the stuff that I was really really good at, super good at. And I knew they were my strengths, but then I had to kind of adapt and add little things on, like playing out from the back, as I said, um, being better on the ball, uh, distribution, all those little things. And then I just gradually started making an even better player to stay in the game. What would you like? How would you like to be remembered by your competitors and your peers as an athlete? Yeah, I think for me, it, it's that it's the shit. When I came up against Ben Sigmund. He didn't give me a single minute, probably not the most technical player, but I knew I was in for a game when he came and played and um, he took no prisoners and, you know, I respect him for a, for a bloke and for the man he is and, um, you know, he was a bit of a horrible bugger, but at the end of the day when he walked off the field, he was um, he shook my hand and, we, you know, you had a beer. What, um, okay, so now I always find this moment in, 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 in an athlete's life because the hard thing for being an athlete is your career finishes, you know, 30s uh, and you know most careers you can kind of go to your 60 and so there's kind of this moment of an identity crisis um, yep. uh, the unknown you know how are you finding that transition you know because I've been a, I've been a sportsman and now yep. that's taken away from me so how are you finding it kind of just on an identity level and then also on trajectory forward as well yeah so I've just been on a two-week book tour and it's been massive you know so we we, we, we covered the country, we went from bottom of the South Island right to the top, and we put in a, a whole heap of events. It was unbelievable. I did that straight after I retired, um, so I kind of didn't have any time to think about retirement. And, you know, that two weeks or three weeks we were on tour was unbelievable. We, we just we nailed it. It was so, so good. But then I came back last week on Tuesday, and I was ready to jump off a building. <laughs> it was like, oh my god, I'm in reality. I've got no income coming in. The books went okay, so we, you know, we sold a bit. We made a bit of money through that, but literally my wages have stopped. Um, uh, you know, like I've got. I'm in the real world now. I've got to go to work on. So I go to work on Tuesday next week, and and I'm in the office, and I start my professional development business, fully committed people development. And you know, just locking in contracts, locking in business and opportunities. Um, and then I've also invested into a company which is Kitman, which is um, Nike Apparel for football and schools and what have you. And um, and I've been offered a office space through Kitman, and they they also own another couple of um, businesses. So they've said, come in, use our office space, free of charge. And like that for me was just so nice because. Um, they didn't have to do it, and for me, it's like at least I can go to work, get in a routine. You know, my wife knows I'm going, and um, and then start start this business and, and kind of rock and roll. So, so the business is you wanted working towards helping people grow. Obviously, what kind of yep. what kind of what's the form you see it turning into? 
Yeah, so at the moment we're, there's a number of things. So in football, I've, we don't have any help or support, so there's no funding for it. In rugby have got full-on funding for it. They have full-time people. So I'm contracting out now to not just football, but I'm starting in football, but it's anyone, corporates, other codes, um, whoever wants some help to develop as, as a person and get better as a person and, and achieve their goals. Um, but, you know, little things like finding your career, what you want to do if your career ends or if you want to change your career because people might want to just might not be happy. Um, you know, financial training, which I don't do, but I've got someone to do it. Um, you know, goal setting, resilience, like resilience. I didn't even know what resilience was until I was 28. You know, so we resilience training. You know, there's all sorts of areas where we, we cover off, and it's really just professional development, I guess, in one word. And, and, um, and you know, I'll be contracting out to a number of um, companies and people to try and, um, you know, better people, I guess, and reach their goals. And what do you feel are some of the keys to actually helping people progress? As I said, like, I think... For me, it's really around um, your goal setting, and I kind of feel like it's everyone focuses on too big a goal. So, like in football sense, everyone thinks that the kids are, oh, I'm going to go and play for Manchester United or Chelsea. And I think that's just an unrealistic goal. So, I kind of want to break it down, and it's like a ladder, you know, you like start off at a low level and you go and play for your Canterbury, your, your local rep team. And then you might go and play senior football at a young age and then you gradually progress into, you know, maybe a junior New Zealand team and then work your way up rather than being like, I'm going to play for Manchester United. And it's like, well, how do you get there? You know, you've got to climb the ladder. And so for me, it's really breaking down and trying to make people, you know, because once you reach a little goal, you get confidence and then, you you know, you reach another goal and you you keep climbing and climbing and climbing rather than just going, bang, it's got to be there. So... Um, yeah, it's really just kind of just breaking stuff down and really help people kind of reach that and find that 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 way of of, of getting there and, and and breaking down the barriers, you know, like oh I didn't get there today, but oh let's just give up. So like not giving up, you know. And as I said, resilience is part of that. Mm-hmm. And I also imagine just from your own experiences, teaching them how to learn to deal with the emotion of the journey. You know, like you're saying for your own career. The thing I didn't have early on was the kind of maturity to be able to handle my emotions. And through my experience, I learned to get there. And that's kind of the journey as well, isn't it? Because a lot of people, when they don't succeed in their goals, they kind of destruct their world, you know? And and, and to realise that actually that's kind of a part of the game and just to learn how to healthily deal with those moments so that we can actually keep progressing forward. Yeah, well, that's it, you know? And, and, and as I say, I think, a lot of people, especially in the in the sporting world, um, struggle with the, the disappointments. Mm. You know, um, oh, I've just been told I'm not good enough, or I didn't make that team, and my mate did, and it's like, well, how do you deal with that? You know, and that's where I talk about resilience. Um, yeah, so you know, I think for me, it's more about the resilience side of it, and and how you deal with that disappointment, and and what you do. You know, so when I got back from the World Cup, it was like I haven't played. I'm disappointed. I'm absolutely my, my heart was ripped apart. My wife was suffering, you know, because she knew how I was so gutted. And I think I look back and I go, well, I think what got me through was resilience and also the fact that I went away and set more goals. I went like, okay, well, stuff you. I'm going to show you that I should have been playing. I'm going to show you that I can get better and better so I can keep playing. Mm. And that was kind of the, the turning point for me. It was like, do you give up? 
or do you get back on the wagon, you know, and, and really sort of focus on what it is I have to do to kind of get better and make, make it that I am playing. Because it's hard in sport, really, isn't it? Because the reward goes to so so few, if you know what I mean. Like, you know, like only one team gets to win the championship. Only, you know, like, and and the expectation is everyone should bloody win the thing. And so the, the kind of the expectations are so unrealistic yeah. for so, you know, that, you know, and the reward is so small, if you know what I mean. Yeah, Good, another good point, you know, and that for me um, is exactly right. And I talk about people. I talk to people about in the book about, you know, for me when I played against um, with the Phoenix, you know, it was professional. We're in front of your home fans, and there's ten to twenty thousand people there. And um, goddamn plane. <laughs> and then, you know, and then it's like. Um, for me, it was like every time I walked out on that field, I felt like I was out playing for Manchester United. Mm. I loved playing for them. I loved being out there, and that was kind of like that was my thing. And I think, um, you know, it, it, everyone says, oh, you know, you didn't win a grand final, you know, in the championship. But it, for me, it was more about like growing the game. You know, football's small in this country, and it was about, okay, well, what do we do? And it was about playing every week getting in front of people, shaking hands, signing autographs, taking photos, um, yeah, everything that to do with being a professional and about growing the game, and that's what I did, and I'm still doing that now, and you know, and that's my goal. It's to it's to just really promote as much as I possibly can for the football game and the football world because you know it does struggle here, and and I'm just like, well, let, what do we do to um to try and to make that? And you know, the the book tour we did, we put an all stars team together, which was um, ex all whites, you know, that, that had played for their country, Phoenix players, a whole heap of wide range of players that no one had ever done before. No, it, these guys just retire and get phased out and just, mm. you know, go off and do their own thing. And to bring those guys together was just amazing, you know. And then Sky TV, which is um, Foxtel, I guess, for, for, for the wider range of people, um, they were like, well, you've done such an amazing job why don't you go and try and present something to the TV, you know, and actually get this on TV before a big game, you know, like a Phoenix game or an All Whites game. So, you know, for me, that was so special because I want to honour these guys and they're part of our history and we don't do anything to do it. And, and, and I've just about created something that we can actually bring these players back and honour them. The sporting world's an interesting world nowadays, and I imagine lots of people listening to this probably have someone they know who's aspiring to be a professional athlete. What would be your advice to maybe like a young athlete or, or someone a parent of, or for the you know for that younger person coming through who has the hopes of of a professional sporting life? I think parents, I would give advice to that <laughs> don't push, don't push your kids too hard. Um, don't make them do every single thing that might you know potentially make them make a, a good team. Give them two or three things that they can focus at and and really smash it and so they can give a hundred percent rather than just doing lots of lots and lots and lots and what happens is the kid burns out and it's just it's just sad to see mm. um and as a player i would just say um you know never give up and never cheat don't cheat you know um you know for me i always remember when i was you know going off to the gym or going to the pool and um you know it was me on my own and i was injured and it was like I could go home here or I could go off to the, the beach and have a wee perv because it was a beautiful summer's day. <laughs> and I, I didn't. I went into the pool and I did those laps and I finished my rehab and I did what I needed to do. And it was, um, and I just, you know, I guess the only thing I can say is don't cheat because only you know when you're cheating. No one else knows. And, 
you know, you can only question yourself. And if you know you've given it 100%, you know that you haven't cheated, then, you know, you, you know you, you're going to reach your potential. There's something to that, isn't there? Because I kind of think that um, when you cheat, like there's, when we compete, there's that moment where you have to give all. That's ultimately, I think, what every athlete wants is that kind of that test of that moment where you have to give all. And there's something about if I've done all the work in that moment, uh, there's a trust that I can get through it. And, and if I cheat myself in those little moments, in that moment, that's what seems to pop up. And it pulls away a little percent of that kind of that trust of, you know, that I can give it everything. And so the, the, the cost may not seem obvious at that moment, but in that key moment where my real test comes forward, that's often where it gets hurt, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. It's a great point, you know. And, and uh, you know, I think certainly in the later stages of my career, there was times when I was injured, I got jardia, and I was like, man, I'm so, I was so sick, it was just ridiculous, and I had to, I had to, you know, build my body back up, I had to put muscle back on, I had to get strong and fit, and as I said, it was just like, I remember thinking, I can actually go home here, and no one would even know, yeah. you know, apart from myself, and that would probably burn me up the most, and I wouldn't be able to sleep at night, and and uh, and um, you know Ryan Nelson, who's an absolute legend in our in our game in New Zealand as a captain, as a player at Blackburn Rovers, and he always said before our our game where we qualified for the World Cup, and he said, "Look, boys, only you will know if you don't run into the box and try and score a goal. Only you will know if you didn't run back and stop the goal, and only you would know if um, if you know if something happened in the game when you could have done something." and he said, the cameras won't know, your mates won't know, no one will know apart from you. And that sort of motto kind of stuck with me. And that's kind of what got me through in my last sort of five years was Ryan Nelson just barking at me saying, only you know. So don't don't be the guy that lets the team down. What, what do you think it takes to be a good leader? Oh, leadership, um, you know, communication, leading by example, um, you know, when t- when your chips are down and you're losing one nil, are you got are you going to step up and try and win the game, or are you going to just sort of you know hide like some other people do? Mm-hmm. Um, and then off the field, you're a good bugger. You know, you, you you listen to your teammates and and you do what it takes for the team. You know, sometimes you got to step up and and when something's not right, you know, that's done through management or through the through the through the you know team coach. Sometimes you got to stand up and say, I don't think that's right, and I I really respect a captain that can do that. For those listening to the to this right now, what would be your advice? You know, if you were to kind of give a couple of key points around um, how to improve, what would be your key points? Yeah, so prime example for how to improve, I struggled to distribute. I was a bad distributor at the back, and as I said, I had to change that. And for me, it was I um, I got the coach. I got two little goals, and I just passed it into the goal, passed it into the goal, passed it into the goal. And even players say to me, oh, I remember when you started passing into the goal and they were laughing at me saying, oh, Siggy's out of the game. What's he doing? You know, um, he's never going to improve. And now they can sit here and say, well, um, you did improve. You did play, you know, your best football at an older age because you wanted to get better. And it was just practice, practice, practice. And um, as I said, just don't cheat. I think also what's admirable about what you're talking about here is that I didn't let peer pressure take me off my path. Yeah, well, I, I probably did earlier on, though, because, you know, it was a, a thing that took time for me to realise. And, you know, my mates were out, out on the booze, you know, at a young age. And I wanted to, I wanted to be like them, and they were at university, and I wanted to be like them. And, you know, I probably did get peer pressured in, you know, my younger years. But as I matured, I realised that, you know, peer pressure gets you nowhere. 
um, and it and it's and it you've got to be your own person, your own man, and 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 that's something that I guess I'm really proud of, and I and I do stand up for myself, and um, it is important to um to really sort of stick to what you believe and not let anyone tell you what you what you can and can't do. Yeah, well, yeah, and, and I think it's the maturity you showed because by the end of it, I knew I needed to develop a skill, and it might look like a fool to be in the background kicking between those things, but I got there, and look at the reward I got because of it. You know, whereas maybe when I was younger, I would have not done it because I didn't want to look stink. You know, like it's you know yeah. that is maturity, isn't it? Exactly right. Yeah. yeah. Hey, um, so if people want to kind of work with you, so the book is fully committed with Ben Stigman. If people want to kind of see what you're doing, where do they go, like internet wise? Yeah, so I think um, in terms of the book, you, you can get it off Ben Sigmund. I, I suppose you've got a world, you know, if you're in New Zealand, it would be just order it off the website, bensigmundoneword.co.nz, and you can just order the book and it gets delivered to your doorstep. Um, and then there's we're on Kindle as well, so yep. you just go on to Kindle and you can order the fully committed <coughs> Sigmund story. And then for my business, um, yeah, just... Same thing, bensigmundoneword.co.nz and there's all the detail on there with what I do and how I operate and um, and I'm always keen to, to help anyone. You know, There might be something on there that you might not see that you're interested in and I'm sure I can adapt myself and, and find out how we can help you. Hey, well, good good work on the, on the book. I think you did a pretty bloody good launch considering you did it all by yourself. Like, um, For those who don't know, he basically brought out a book and he's been in the media. He's been killing New Zealand media in the last few weeks and uh, and he didn't do it with a publisher, so he did it very much on his own back. And so I'm sure it was pretty full on. Yeah, just about killed me. I'm just <laughs> uh, but, you know, we had a, a funder, Corporate Consumables Office product that, that we really needed. If we didn't have them, we'd be, we'd be stuffed right now. Couldn't have done it. And then we just had some great people around me, Jason Pine, who wrote the book, um, you know, and then we had some really great help around some um, Rachel and Helen um, who did all the admin stuff. And, you know, again, these people told us we couldn't do it. And um, when they told me that, I was like, right, I'll show you. And, and here we are. We've written the book, been on our tour, and, you know, we've sold, you know, 1,500 books. We'll hopefully get 2,000, you know, yeah. at least by the end of the campaign. Good stuff. Well, thanks for your time today, mate. And if you want to check it out, it's all on bensigmund.co.nz. And I'll put the link to that in the show notes for this show. Uh, I look forward to see what you do in the future, mate. Keep it up. Thanks very much for having me, man. Awesome, mate. There you go, guys. That's my interview with Ben. Hopefully, you got some insight from that. Hopefully, you got some stuff to think about. Um, yeah, again, if I go back to what I was talking about before, the beginning of the show, this whole idea of the athlete's life, and I find that a fascinating life to lead, and also a fascinating life to have to walk away from, you know, like most of us have careers that we think will last a very long time, like I've been in fitness for nearly 20 years now, and most of us, you know, see that as a long-term thing, but as an athlete, I was listening to an, an interview the other day and talking about NRL, which is rugby league, which is a big sport in Australia and New Zealand, and not and a little bit in the UK. And uh, the average lifespan of an NRL player is around 26 games, so which is basically just a season. So, you know, these guys, sure, they get these moments of kind of reaching a peak, but, you know, they're kind of done by 30 or mid-30s, and then they've got a whole life in front of them, and that's kind of where Ben's at right now. It seems like he's pretty switched on and you know, knows what he's doing, but it's... um. Yeah, it's pretty fascinating stuff. So 
thanks Ben for coming on the show. Anyway guys, I'm I'm heading off to the sun, and while you actually get this, I'm probably in the sun right now, which I really look forward to. Um, so if you've got any emails or anything, I'll be back in a couple of weeks. Just on that front, I am doing my fitness thought videos, so if you want to check out those, you can go to my Facebook page or my YouTube channel. Uh, if you are on YouTube, subscribe to my channel. I'm not used to saying subscribe, it's something I'm just trying to work towards, so uh, check that out as well. Anyway guys, uh, you guys rock, and keep doing what you're doing. And I'll see you back here in a couple of weeks with a show with some deep thoughts from me. See you guys.